Glad to be with you this morning. I'm excited about the continuation of our series, Like a Good Neighbor. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but it's out of this book by two actually Denver area pastors called The Art of Neighboring, Dave Pathick and, uh, or Jay Pathick and Dave Runyon. Check out that resource uh, if you want to go deeper into this subject matter. But uh, the series is called Like a Good Neighbor. And here's kind of the basic gist if you're new or maybe have missed a week or two. Neighbors, neighbors are a big part of our life, are they not? From the people next door to the people upstairs. All of us have to deal with, interact with, and be around neighbors. We kind of have a love-hate relationship with that word and with those people, do we not? And although State Farm kind of gets the credit for the jingle, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It was actually Jesus who first introduced us to the importance of being a good neighbor. He was asked on multiple occasions, what was most important to God? Out of all the laws and all the commands and all the scripture, what was most important? Remember what he said? He said, well, it really boils down to just two things. Loving God with your whole being and loving your neighbor as yourself. And although he said it on different occasions and although most of us have read it, a vast majority of us don't think he actually was talking about the people who live right next door. You didn't mean my neighbors when you said, love thy neighbor, did you, Jesus? You're not calling me to love that family who already purchased all their 4th of July gear and have been setting fireworks off every night for the last two weeks. Are you? You're not calling me to love that couple who walks their dog in front of my yard and doesn't pick up after their dog when it does something in my yard. Not them, are you? You're not calling me to love them. You're not calling me to love the guy whose music is so loud It feels like I'm at a Red Rocks concert. You're not calling me to love them, are you? Jesus, this is how the tune goes. Like a good neighbor, stay over there. Way over there. As far over there as your property line will allow. For most of us, see, our neighbors are more of a burden and a bother than a blessing. They're the people we have to put up with instead of the people that we want to hang out with. And that's something we're not only trying to address in this series, but it's something we're actually trying to remedy in this series. Because in light of what Jesus said in Luke 10 in particular, a story called The Good Samaritan, closing our garage doors as soon as we possibly can, closing our window shades as quickly as we possibly can, and ultimately closing our hearts to our neighbors, that's the exact opposite of what we've been called to do as Christians. According to Jesus, our neighbors are the people that we are close to in terms of proximity, but so far away from relationally. They're the people that we cross paths with on a daily basis, but we normally steer clear of or stay away from. They're the people right next to us with real hurts and real needs, but the folks that we normally turn a blind eye to. Our neighbors are the people we normally care less about. But Jesus said, those are the folks I want you to care deeply about. According to Jesus, believe it or not, Loving your neighbors means loving your neighbors. He meant what he said, and he said what he meant. And all this is so important to God, something we looked at last week, that he has actually determined who your neighbors would be. Acts 17, 26. God began all of the earth by making one man, Adam. And from him, God has made all the different people who live everywhere in the world. Look at this. He has decided, that's God, exactly when and where everyone will live. 
God has set out for you when and where you will live. So that means that you don't live in that home or that apartment or that condo or that yurt. I don't know what you live in, but you don't live there by accident. You live there by divine appointment. God has purposefully placed you in your neighborhood and surrounded you with certain people. You see, God's on a mission to prove his love and to bring his life to everyone. And it looks like he's going to do that one good neighbor at a time. It starts by learning your neighbor's names. Hey, buddy. Hey, pal. Hey, you. That's not going to cut it when it comes to loving your neighbors. And so we have little block maps that we passed out a couple weeks ago. I think there's still a few left at the next steps table. This was your homework, church, to fill out your neighbor's names, to get to know the eight closest neighbors by name. Knowing their name is a big step in starting to love them and and be a good neighbor to them. Another thing we looked at last week was overcoming these fear-based excuses that we have, these worst-case scenarios that we tend to dream up when it comes to interacting with our neighbors. I mean, just like the people in the Old Testament, we come to a certain point in our relationships, and then we think negatively or pessimistically about what we do next and how bad it's going to turn out, and we stop moving forward, and God says, press on. I've given you this land. So many different things. You see, the spirit that God has given us not only helps us to remember names, but it empowers us to break this cycle of isolation and apathy that so many people have in their neighborhoods. Christians are called and are actually able to break that cycle and to bring the gospel into their neighborhoods. So this morning, I'm excited to continue the series and to share with you a little bit more on a practical level of what it looks like to be a good neighbor. My two girls think that I can fix and repair just about anything. I like to think that I'm a pretty handy guy, but my girls think that I'm like Bob Vila reincarnated. I'm like Tim the Toolman Taylor, right, in living color. Normally it's little toys or sometimes it's pieces of jewelry. Uh, one time it was their dresser drawer, it broke. The other day it was a bike pedal that got smashed. And I love the fact that when they ask, Dad, can you fix this? They have great confidence that I can't. Now there is coming a day, and we are all going to be crushed when that day comes, when they learn that my knowledge and my skills are not nearly as impressive as they might think. But right now I've got them fooled, and I love it. But when it comes to the brokenness in our world, when it comes to the, the brokenness that exists in our communities, the brokenness that is present right there in our neighborhoods, We need to ask God the same thing that my girls tend to ask me. Dad, can you fix this? Dad, can you fix this? God, can you fix the relational and emotional distance that exists between me and the people that live right next door? Can you fix the apathy and the anger that some neighbors feel towards each other? Can you fix the indifference or the isolation that so many neighbors live in? Can you fix the fact that I don't know, that I don't see, and that I don't care about the people you have called me to love? Can you fix that? And the answer is yes. Yes, he can. See, our God is the ultimate Mr. Fix-It. But unlike our, our earthly fathers, he doesn't have limited resources He doesn't have limited knowledge, limited know-how. And guess what? Our God, he doesn't use duct tape like many of you dads. There will never come a day 
when our God says, yeah, that's a little bit above my pay grade. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what to do about that problem. Yeah, I'm not sure how to help you with what is broken. There will never come a day when he says that. He is the expert, and he can fix anything. He can fix everything that we bring to him. But like any good father, he wants to involve his children in the process. It's like any good father, he doesn't want to just fix it on his own. He wants to bring his children next to him as he fixes it. He wants to teach us. He wants to use us. He wants to show us how to fix it ourselves, how to fix it alongside of him. And so this morning, I want to share with you a few things that that when we learn how to do them, we actually partner with God in fixing our neighborhoods, in blessing our neighborhoods, in loving our neighbors. You with me? No. Okay. I guess there's... Have a great day. It's been wonderful with you guys. Come back next week. Turn your ear. Okay, anyway. Let's, let's keep going. The first thing we need to learn, the first thing we can do to partner with God is to prioritize people. Stop and think with me about the world that we live in. It's a world that, that people years ago would have never imagined was even possible. You can make phone calls using your car to someone on the other side of the planet Oh, and this car will tell you exactly where to go. You'll never get lost, and this car can park itself. Not only that, you can email, tweet, poke, message, pin, like, or share with other people while you're driving and making phone calls in this fancy car. Not only that, you can record your favorite show back home and then skip all the commercials later that night and have a little robot vacuum cleaner sweep your entire home while you're gone because right now you're poking, pinning, liking, sharing, and sending messages to people while talking on the phone in your fancy car. Whew! That's a crazy world. And our reactions to all this should be like, whoa, what am I going to do with all this free time? Right? All of these devices are called time-saving devices. But how many of you are running around right now thinking, how am I going to fill up my schedule today? Most of us aren't saying that. We're not walking around with extra time on our hands, wondering what to do or how to fill it. We eat on the run and have meetings on the fly. We maximize, multitask, and manage every minute. We wake up early, way too early, and go to bed too late, way too late. We zip off to work, drop the kids off at school, spend eight hours being as productive as possible. Then we come home, eat a quick meal, hang with the fam, send a few text messages, check our email a few more times, check the snail mail, try to catch the end of the game, get the kids ready for bed, do the housework, pay the bills, walk the dog, try to squeeze in a little exercise or quiet time, and then we crash. Only to do it all over again. This is a very dangerous way to live. And if I'm honest with you as your pastor, this is a very ungodly way to live. Games, activities, hobbies, adventures, trips, work, school, church, electronics, kids, projects, pets. I don't know about you, but at times I feel totally overwhelmed by all the things that are happening in my life and taking time up in my life. Then I look at Jesus. I kind of stop in all of my madness and I look at Jesus. He was the healthiest person to have ever lived. And he's the one who models for us what kind of life God intended for us to enjoy. And and a quick read through the Gospels shows you he got a lot done. Like bringing heaven to earth, yeah, it kind of took up a lot of time. And, And he was able to do a lot of things in light of that mission. But here's the thing. 
when you read about his life, words like hurried, phrases like stressed out, comments like maxed out, burdened, those words and phrases never apply to him. Even though he was so busy, even though he was doing so much, those things never come to mind. Look at John 10, 10. Jesus says this, I have come that they have made, that they, blah, 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 blah. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Oh, oh, to the full. You mean full of more things to do. You mean full of more places to go. You mean full of more practices to attend and teams to sign up for. You mean a full schedule. You mean a full week. Oh, I know, Jesus. You mean a full plate. That's the full life you intended for us to live. And I think Jesus is saying, no, that's not my definition of full at all. In this life, in this good life, in this godly life, in this full life that Jesus intended for us to have, he wanted to revolve around people. Because that's what we see in his life. He always made time for and always prioritized people. Think about how many times in the scripture Jesus is interrupted by somebody. He's walking along the road and sick people scream out for help. He's teaching others and all his little kids run up to him and, and want a piggyback ride. He's on his way to raise one girl from the dead when another girl stops him dead in his tracks. He's mourning the loss of his cousin when the crowds come running. He was interrupted by people all of the time. And yet here's the trend that we see. He always stopped for them. He always paid attention to them. He always prioritized people. He never saw people as a nuisance. He never saw them as a distraction. He never felt they were a bother or rebuked them for disrupting them. Why? Because people were his priority. All the other things could wait. All of the other things weren't nearly as important. All of the things were not going to take him away from people. And oh, what a huge lesson this is for us, is it not? Because we're the exact opposite. How important are people to God? That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. So important are people to our God that he says loving people, especially the ones right next door, that is second most important, only to loving him. That's it. I love the way Francis Chan put it. God's definition of what matters, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. He will measure our lives by who we love and how much we love them. See, church, loving the people around us, that is a top priority for God. The question is, is it a top priority for you? Is loving your neighbors going to take some time? Is loving your neighbors going to interrupt your schedule? Is loving your neighbors going to seem like a bother and a pain Yes, of course it is, but it's important. It's really, really important. I remember when I worked at Pepperdine, my office was right there on main campus, and it was like a zoo. A college campus is like a zoo, like organized chaos, right? And so students would just pop in all of the time, and they would always kind of knock on the door and be like, hey, you got a minute? You got a minute, right? You know, this, you know this thing? You know this interruption right here? Occasionally, I would just be like, no. 
Occasionally I do that kind of like, I don't know what they thought was happening to me. Maybe some sort of like, you know, health concern. They're like, oh, hey, we're, hey, we're good, man. Occasionally I would just look at them for a few seconds and then look at my watch then look down at my desk then look back up at them. I hardly ever said, of course I got a minute for you. Of course I do. Because everything else can wait. Because people are my priority. Nothing matters more in this moment than me interacting with you. And God will judge me at the end of my life based upon how many times I said yes instead of no or mm or mm. mm, mm. The question is, how many times have you said yes? When we meet God face to face, I'm not sure he's going to want to hear us say certain things like, God, I loved you and the second command just like it, I loved the mountains. God, I loved you and the second command is just like it, I loved golf. I loved you, God, and I loved, oh, skiing, biking, hiking, camping, whatever it is you do in Colorado. I loved those things. He wants you to love him and then others. Those other things need to play second, third, fourth fiddle. He's not asking you to prioritize those things, even though that's what I do in my own life. He's not asking you to make those other things most important. He's asking you to make him and the people around you the most important. When it comes to our lives, our schedules, our priorities, I want to be like Jesus. I want to love the people and the interruptions and the chaos that's all around me. That's one thing we can do to partner with our God to fix our neighborhoods. The next thing we can do to partner with God to fix our neighborhoods is throw a good party. Come on now, stay with me. When you read about the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, he's almost always at a dinner party, on his way to a dinner party, or leaving a dinner party. The man knew how to party. And I think he wants his followers to know how to do the same. Luke 5, beginning in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. Be one of my disciples, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up. He left everything and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink and party with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Well, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So Matthew is invited to be one of Christ's disciples. And he responds to that invitation by inviting Jesus and all of his closest friends to a great banquet. That's just Bible terminology, a huge party. Okay? And here's the thing about this party. There is no indication that Jesus had any problem being there. In fact, the way Jesus talks about this party, it makes it sound like there is no place he would rather be than at this party. Right? The religious leaders of the day aren't too comfortable with this. They're pretty upset that this party is happening, that Jesus is doing things that you do at parties, that he's hanging out with people that you see at parties. He's not very happy about all this, or they aren't, but Jesus is. He is so comfortable at this party. 
He is using this opportunity to hang out with and to befriend and get to know a, people, a group of people that don't have any religious framework. A group of people that he would have never hung out with otherwise. He wants to be at this party because that's where the people are. The hurting people, the lost people, the unchristian people. Jesus used Matthew's party to connect with others, to serve others, and to love others. And he wants to do the same thing with our parties. It's called a Matthew party, and I want you to throw one. As Christians, I want us to be playing a part in throwing the best parties in our neighborhood instead of being the ones who are complaining about how loud the party is down the street. No, 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 no. That party should be at your place. That party should be at your house. All those people should be gathered around you. So you had homework a few weeks ago, the block map. Get to know your neighbors by name. Here's your second piece of homework. I want you to throw a block party. I want you to throw a block party. I want the people in this church to gather all of their neighbors together for a party. I want you to go door to door with flyers. Yes, door to door with flyers. I just said that. I want you to pull out the grills. I want you to ask everybody to bring a dish. I want you to block off the street, take over the cul-de-sac. I want you to throw a party with your neighbors. Now, for some of you are like, woohoo, pastor finally gave me permission. Others of you are like, dear God, no. <laughs> so we have some resources for you at the next step table. Literally seven page how to throw a great block party. If you need help throwing a party, we're going to help you. Others of you, your ideas are already like ding, 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 Here's why I want you to throw the party, though. Here's why I want you to at least organize a party over the course of this summer. I want your neighbors to be around Jesus. And if you are there, Christian, then he will be now, I don't want to give you a big head right now, but y'all are fun people. You all are good people. You all are godly people, minus a handful. <laughs> but I want your neighbors to be around you so they can ultimately be around Jesus. You with me? That's what happened at Matthew's party. And I want it to happen at your block parties as well. So that's your homework. And we're going to start recording some stories as to what happens, the good, the bad, and the ugly at some of these block parties. But you have permission from the pastor, go throw a huge party in your neighborhood. Let's see what God does with it. The third thing we need to do to help God fix our broken neighborhoods is find and focus our, our attention on a piece, a piece, a person of peace, otherwise known as a peace. Find a person of peace. Look at Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out, two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told these 72, these disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And here's some specifics, some instructions on how to go and minister in Jesus' name. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anybody on the road. When you enter a house, a house first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. 
but stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. It's a pretty interesting passage, isn't it? We don't spend a whole lot of time talking about this. These are like the marching orders for the original disciples. This is how to be like Jesus, how to minister like Jesus. And one of the pieces of advice that he gives to to his disciples is this. Look for a person of peace or find a person who promotes peace. When you find that person, just stay there. Don't leave that house. Eat and drink whatever they give you. Okay, so what in the world does that mean? How does that even apply to us today? Well, a person of peace is more or less a person who is responsive to you, who's receptive to your message. A person of peace is someone who is interested in getting to know you and who is reciprocating the invites and the time. Based on Luke 10, Jesus knew something. Not everybody is going to respond favorably to his message. Not everyone is going to respond favorably to his disciples. Not every neighbor is going to respond favorably to your attempts to get to know them and be a good one to them. And Jesus is like, that's okay. Not everybody's going to be open to doing this. But there will be some who are. Some people will not be receptive. Some people will not be responsive. Be okay with that. But some people will. All right, so let's bring this phrase home. This means that you are not going to, most likely, develop a close, personal, familial relationship with the eight names that you're putting on your block map. For one, ain't no one got time for that. All right? We can't be friends with the eight people around our, our, our house, given the fact that we all had other friendships and other things going on, responsibilities at work. There's just no time for that. But secondly, not all your neighbors even want that. When you get to know people by name, when you become acquaintances with them, when you throw a party with them, when you start becoming friends with some of them, I want you to start praying and asking God, Who are the few families in my neighborhood that you want us to focus on? Who are the people of peace in this neighborhood? Who are the ones who we can invest in and who will invest in us? Who are the ones who will be open and excited about spending time with you? Who will reciprocate the dinner invites and initiate the time with you? Who wants to get to know you by name? Who wants to be your friend? And when you find that person, when you find that family or families Stay put. Spend your time with them. Devote most of your attention to them. This is not being cliquish. This is not being exclusive. This is not being rude to the other people in your neighborhood. This is finding a person of peace and staying put when you find them. Does this make sense? This is going to where the fruit is growing. Does that make sense? This is going to where the Lord maybe is doing some work and he needs you to come alongside right now in this person's life to help them take a couple of next steps closer to him. Now, Jesus wants you to be friendly with everybody. Don't hear me say otherwise. But he knows that you're probably only gonna be close friends with a few. That's okay. Some of your neighbors will never care about you. They will never want to get to know you and you can, you can try once or twice or 10,000 times. You can raise an angry fist to heaven. You can keep banging your head against that wall. Or you can just say, okay, Lord, that's obviously not a person of peace. Another one of those eight will be. So keep trying. Keep reaching out to your different neighbors to see who that person of peace might be. According to Jesus, he wants you to invest in that person or persons. And it's okay when you devote most of your time to them. All right, the last thing that we need to do 
to help God fix our neighborhoods is maintain the proper posture. So first we prioritize people. Next we throw a great party. We go find a person of peace. And next and last we maintain the right posture. We have to understand something, church, as it comes to loving our neighbors. You don't love your neighbors so you can convert your neighbors. You don't love your neighbors so they will come to believe the same things that you believe. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor as yourself as long as they come to church with you. Love your neighbor as long as they come to your Bible study. Love your neighbor as long as they act interested or sound interested in learning more about your church. He never said that. We are simply called to love them. Period. No strings attached. No agenda. Just love them. Whether they ever take any steps closer to Christ, that's besides the point. That's not up to us. We just love them. But here's the thing. With all that being said, our love for them should at some point in time involve our love for Christ and vice versa. Our love for Christ will at some point in time come out in our love for our neighbors. That's, that's the really bad thing about our faith. It's supposed to impact and influence every part of your life, including how you interact with your neighbors. And we want to help others experience life now in the neighborhood, but eternally in the heaven neighborhood. And so it should be important to us. But in order to talk about spiritual things with your neighbors, in order to show what's most important to you, You've got to maintain the right posture. For me, it boils down to trusting God's timing. It, it, it boils down to doing a couple of things. When interacting with my neighbors, I don't want to, nor should I ever lead with, Hi, I'm Thomas. I'm a pastor at West Bowles. Our service times are uh, 9, 10, and 11. Love to see you there next Sunday. Actually, I've got a connection card right here in my pocket. <laughs> That's not what I lead with. Instead, this is what a Christ-like posture looks like to me. It starts by knowing my neighbors by name. It starts by then praying for my neighbors by name. From there, I want to befriend my neighbors. And as I get to know them and as I get to be their friends, I will learn of needs and then I'm going to serve them. That's a Christ-like posture right there. And there is nothing overtly on this list about sharing your faith, inviting them to church, bringing up Jesus, making sure they know where you stand on certain issues. No, that's the wrong posture. you got to maintain the right posture. Get to know them by name. Start praying for them by name. Befriend them and then get to know what their needs are and start meeting them. Nothing more but nothing less. Again, there's nothing on this list about sharing your faith or discussing the four spiritual laws or the five steps to salvation but when I do these things for Christ, when I do those things with Christ, when I do those things in Christ, you better believe I will have ample opportunity to share Christ. You with me? When I do those things with Christ, for Christ, and in Christ, then I will have tons of opportunity to talk about Christ. But the first does not come before those four things. It's not about strong-arming people, right? It's not about using this bait-and-switch approach like, ha, 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 you thought this was a Broncos party? It's a Bible study. <laughs> like, what, the, what just happened here? It's not about do going door-to-door -door except for the party. 
right? It's not about like always rocking that Christian t-shirt out in your neighborhood, like forgiven. Yeah, you wonder what this is about? Oh, did you see, did you see with my t-shirt? Oh, the nails on the, oh, whoa, this little guy? Oh, didn't know you'd notice that. It's not about doing any of those things. It's about entering into a real, meaningful relationship with your neighbors and then maintaining a Christ-like posture in that relationship. Know your neighbors by name. Pray for your neighbors by name. Befriend your neighbors and then serve your neighbors. And when you do that, you're going to have tons of opportunity to share Christ. The authors of the book say it this way. Being a good neighbor, it's not a new evangelism strategy. If evangelism is the only reason you're caring about your neighbors, then you're not going to be a very good neighbor. But if you maintain the right posture, then as you become a good neighbor, others will actually come to know God through you. So when you believe that it's important to care about your neighbors, your neighbors will start to care about what you believe. Don't forget that, church. So dads, thanks for being the ones who know how to fix things. And if that doesn't describe your dad or you as a dad, thanks for knowing how to use Siri to find someone who knows how to fix things. But the truth is that we all have a father, a heavenly father who can fix anything, who can fix everything. And so we give to him this morning our neighborhoods. We give to him the relationships that we have with the people next door and upstairs. And we ask him to fix it. We ask him to help us experience life with them and to show love to them. And we give him now certain things. We do certain things for him. We will learn to do certain things with him so that we can partner in all this. We will prioritize people. We will throw some good parties. We'll find that person of peace and we'll maintain a right posture. And when we do that, amazing things will happen in our neighborhood. Let me pray for that and get you out of here. God, we thank you for this call to love our neighbors. And it's amazing how we kind of nuance certain words and and redefine certain words to fit our understanding, to fit our schedule, to to fit what we want to be true. And yet when it comes to loving our neighbors, I think you really meant our neighbors. And so we ask that you will help us in the next couple of days and weeks and months to truly love our neighbors. Would you help us to prioritize them? I know we're busy. I know we've got a lot of other things going on, but we can give a little bit more time to people, the people you've placed right next door to us. Pray that you'll help us to throw some good parties this summer. Maybe we team up with other people in this church. Maybe there's someone in our neighborhood who's just chomping at the bit to to partner with us to throw this party, God. But help us to gather people around, to get to know them and to befriend them, God. We, We ask for deeper relationships with our neighbors. Would you reveal to us in these relationships what the needs are, what the hurts are, what the problems are, so that then we can go in and and help you serve and and solve some of those problems, God. Help us to, to respond to what we see and what we hear and what we feel from our neighbors. Help us to be a good neighbor, God. I think amazing things will happen in each of our communities if we would just take this command literally and seriously. Help us to do that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope you have an amazing day. Enjoy your time with your dads or make sure you give them a call. Don't forget, on your way out, a dollar in the bin. We can bless a family in need. God bless. Be strong and courageous.